since our rebranding event, Christmas hijinks, they removed the tables in the kitchen. And what none of us have realised is there's actually quite low lamps under... Well, it's quite low if you're six foot four, like you are. Um, to be fair, Kevin stood under it and jumped and tried to reach it. He couldn't reach it. So, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I had, I had seen someone in distance that I was going to say hi to. Was it you that I'd look say? It was Alex I'd seen. I was like, hi. I started walking forward and just went, crack. Uh, and I was like, I thought Gemma was going to fall over with fright. She was like, are you okay? Was it? There was a commotion. I was like, I, for a minute, I thought I'd be streaming with blood. Well, then I went it. to HR and went where there's blame as a clown. So <laughs> guaranteed bonus issue. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, but Sarah's been looking at it all day. She was like, the bump's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. So I've got scars all over my head because I'm tall and I've got no hair. Mm. So that's nice. It's, it's fairly prominent, James. Nature prominent. of the beast. Yeah. It's quite prominent. Just wear a hat. It's almost like a second nose. <laughs> Well, you made it this far, so well done. We made it. We made it. We made it to episode twenty-one. Fantastic. Episode twenty-one. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to uh, Taking Stock After the Bell. Uh, it's nice to be joined by a somewhat beaten up James Hughes, investment manager, and uh, financial planner Ian Cook. Ian, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Got a little intro for you. Um, Ian has worked in financial services since 2002, following a changing career after leaving the British Army, no less. His core strengths are taking complex financial matters and putting them in plain English. Ian has developed his range of skills to incorporate full financial planning using cash flow and lifetime income modelling, something we'll get on to discuss. Uh, Ian's goal is to help us all achieve financial freedom through careful and prudent planning. Ian's key skills include investment and pension planning, protection planning, and long-term care. He's also very partial to a pocket square, as we can see here. As you can see. <laughs> Is that what you put on there? I've got a, I've got a pocket great. square, but it didn't sadly match the new branding. Didn't match the new brand, no. So we do have some new branding proudly yeah. displayed behind Yuzi's head there, um, which is nice, isn't I, it? I missed the memo on the pocket missed square. The memo, blue and gold, so that's all right, isn't it? But thank yeah. you. Yeah. All going okay? Very well, thank you. Very well. Yeah. A day of rebranding, which is always good for the for the future and good for the soul. Good for a new brolly as well. I'll load it up with those to go home. <laughs> a new brolly and a new uh, pen. And a new water bottle. I've got a new water bottle. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Um, so the idea of getting you on, obviously, was to talk about you know everything that you do, but more importantly, to talk about the autumn statement, which was a week or so ago, because we got very excited about, you know, Pensions changes. The British ISA. The British the ISA. British ISA. UK small cap. You know, we were banging the drum for all that. And, and there it, was it can pretty only... much nothing on it front. So I think a damp squid is the best damp squid terminology. Sadly, nothing for the yeah. investment managers in the room. No. So why don't you give us a brief synopsis of what actually was in the autumn statement? And it doesn't need to be mm. long. <laughs> I think there wasn't really much in there for anybody, um, yourselves or ourselves. There's a small cut to national insurance. So the headline... Mm. Jeremy Hunt took the headlines with a 2% reduction in national insurance contributions, which will be a welcome relief, but I've always felt that it's political posturing. It yeah. feels like he's gearing up for, you know, Q3, Q4 general election. He's They're going to put a manifesto together that Tories are the government to lead the the growth revolution that's coming. And I think this is one of the first changes that, that, that they're going to make in order to try and help. Um, there's a little bit in there for businesses as well. Yeah. Um, but certainly for the for us and the clients that typically we deal with in the room with private wealth, there wasn't really a lot to get too excited about. You know, at the upper end, £750 a year, national insurance savings isn't really going to make a huge amount of difference. And a lot of clients are retired anyway. It did make me chuckle that our chief investment officer is retiring in December and the NI cut comes in January. <laughs> great, uh, great planning. Yeah. Uh, they crossed my mind. No, you're right. Um, state pension's gone up by something a lot again. Triple lock was um, held, which, again, you've got to look from a political perspective with a general yeah. election coming. Really, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen him making a change there. No because it, that would be political suicide. Yeah. They've got to try and narrow the gap somehow. But again, it's the state pension now is approaching the level of most people's personal allowance. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, 12 and a half, yeah, 11, yeah. 11 and a half. So again, we could, we could 
probably talk all day about fiscal drag and realistically with the additional tax tax take through this through this year you know that's probably funded the national insurance contributions mm. everybody's been getting larger than expected pay rises or you've got people not us um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was just i was just about to reference the trains because <laughs> they came to a resolution they earlier did. today Sixty-five thousand pounds a year for a train driver I think I need to change careers. No comment. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah, uh, fiscal drag's having a really big impact mm. on, I think, people's ability to spend money. The fact that the high-rate tax ban starts at a fraction over 50000 We've got the hidden, well, not so hidden if you're in it, the 60% tax trap, just above 100000 as well, yeah. um, meaning that you actually that, that lose... Should have been ripe for clearing out that's ludicrous absolutely the, the, yeah. the, the 100 to 125 and the 50,000 if you've got you know as as we all do children mm. child benefit mm. high income child benefit charge of 50,000 is ridiculous yeah just horrible wrinkles in the tax system the, it, it, so do you think the next budget is going to be one of do you think it's going to use that pre-election to really make some changes one one would ex one would expect because the gap with the competing party needs to be narrowed and they need to, in some ways they need to push labor into a corner mm. in, into a quite a difficult corner that is trap. Yeah. See, I, I don't know. I, I think this election is going to be a lot closer than, do you? yeah, I do. Oh, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. On what grounds? So just tiny bit of evidence, but my, my sister lives in Sheffield with, her husband and, and children. And I was up there recently. And I think the Tories are still seen as saving the country through COVID and giving people quite a lot of payments through it and protecting. And I think that has not been forgotten. Just mm. talking to their friendship groups, mm. nothing has swung them to right? vote for Labour. No. And you would expect that sort of area. Yeah to be a bit more Labour supportive. You would expect. You would. I I still think Scotland's... I know everyone's expecting the SNP votes to go towards Labour. Yeah. I'm not sure that's going to happen still. There's also a boundary change, isn't there, coming, which helps the Tories, I think, in terms of the swing of seats. I, I also think... They, they, the, Labour are announcing a few things that I think are quite unpopular, which will make people vote. Um, well, Starmer's not. I mean, he's not Tony Blair by any stretch, is he? No. no. So that, that's the only. Well, I'm the only chance, but that's probably the main chance the Tories have got. Yeah, I think the only the only good thing is whichever government gets in place. They're quite both quite central. We we we're not in a position where you know the alternative is a Hunt McDonald government. You know, it actually. So is your reading that? Whoever comes into power, it could be relatively good for business. I think forward. so. I think so. I think Starmer will be a bit, I think he'll be more central than people oh, think. Way more moderate. Yeah, and I think he'll push quite hard against the real kind of left. Yeah, he has done. Um, and, and I do think he, no, I mean, he's a seriously successful man. Uh, it's, you know, he's not, he's not full. He, I think he knows business has to prosper in the mm. UK. Something happened in 2016, which has meant business has suffered since then. And I think whoever goes into power needs to somehow invigorate that. I think the only thing I would say is part of me thinks we we need a change of government just because refresh. we just need a refresh. And I think the Tories need to regroup and actually work out what they want to do. Perhaps I think the Tories need a rebrand. I think no, 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 definitely, definitely yeah. is a rebound. Yeah. Like but I, I am quite, you know, I think Rishi, there's, well, pick up the papers, there's not a lot of comment around Rishi, and I think that shows that he's done a good job. You made a good comment about Sheffield and COVID. Do you think the COVID inquiry will help the Tories by getting it out of the way now and kind of sweeping out, yeah. sweeping out the dust? Probably enough times in there. If you think, if you think, kind of autumn general election then mm. and I would tend to agree I don't see an early election being called next year I think they'll push it they're not going to push it into 25 but so I would have thought 
um, late election autumn and the Tories are going to win you hit it here first <laughs> just, a, easy. just a quick question before and UK move. equities are going to rip 20% so <laughs> there we go quick question from me before whilst I've got two investment managers in yeah. the room will the change in business taxation or proposed change make any difference when you're looking at underlying companies um so the only, um, no, because most of the stocks that we look at are global. Mm. So we've got a relatively small universe of UK domestic, domestic stocks. One that mm. springs to mind that did well on the day was BT. Mm. So BT are spending billions putting broadband around the country, mm. digging up the roads around you. Thanks very much. And now obviously they can fully expense all of that against profits. Mm. I think I saw somewhere that it was going to increase their free cash flow in 25, 26 by 15%. Mm. Quite a big number. yeah. yeah. So I think the stock was up 4 or 5% in the day, even wow. though the market had already kind of half-priced it. So it's quite material for them. And but, but BT is the main example I can think of. You know, um, Tesco, Legal General, House Builders. I don't, I don't yeah, quite know the balance sheet ins and outs of it. But, it, you know, most of the stocks we look at, even in the UK, the Unilever's, the Rio Tinto's, HSBC's, mm. is kind of a bit of a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we let smarter people in us look at that sort of stuff and tell if it's good or bad and then we go and buy ourselves something like that yeah. um, so just tying a bow on the autumn statement then mainly politics he had a bit of headroom didn't he so he used it on national insurance cuts business expensing not really a lot else was there there, there were some changes to the ISA rules that made him a bit more flexible in terms of partial transfers the, and yeah and integration of cash um, or cash and stocks and shares under one yeah. under one wrapper but not a lot to get excited about. I mean, I think he had one eye on inflation, hence why he didn't go after income tax, went mm. after national insurance, because I think there would have been a worry that Rachel Reeves may have countered by saying that the, mm. that would impact inflation by the current head on. Just as a sort of sort of aside on that, we've had some really good news on inflation today. I don't know if you've seen it easy, but we had European inflation this morning. Um, I'm not going to put a chart up or anything, but European CPI this morning came in well under, came in at 3.6% annualised versus yeah, wasn't there, Isn't there talk of the ECB having cutting rates cutting, early next year? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you, uh, this afternoon we've had personal consumption expenditure in the States, which is one of their measures of um, inflation, also came in underneath expectations. So that thing that we've talked about uh, in the last month or so, Markets have ripped in November mm. because inflation is going away very quickly and markets are now beginning to cut more rates, uh, sorry, price more rate cuts for 2024, okay. um, which has sort of taken the pressure mm. off. I'm going to ask you a question asset. on this, actually. Go on, then. When does, when does bad news become bad well, news? Well, that's it, isn't it? So, well, yeah. Because so at the, the moment, bad news is last is six news. weeks is bad news um, is good news because rate expectations is going down yeah. at some point yeah well we've also this today had weekly jobless claims in the US so US uh, dole payments unemployment benefits yeah, basically yeah, weekly yeah. Um, and they are rock bottom and not moving so whilst you've still got very low jobless mm. claims in the US there is no fears about a recession because the job market reigns absolutely fine so when my clients are asking us here about the UK with obviously I guess what I'm taking from both of you are saying there, there's a more dovish tone perhaps mm, with European yeah. Central Bank and also the Fed. Does that mean that Bank of England needs to be more herd-like and follow the crowd? I probably do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've got a slightly more unique inflation problem mm. here, but, you know, <clears throat> it's it's come a long way back. But I, I think they do. I think they do need to be a bit more... Dovish. And as we know, central banks are you, they're always late to react. I, you know, when the cuts come, it will be too late. So they're too late um, raising rates and they'll probably be too late cutting rates, yeah. I think. Yeah. Because but I think, I think where they've been good, I actually think holding rates, was it last meeting or the meeting before when it wasn't expected? Mm. I actually think that hold was quite important. They mm. could have raised rates they could have done and actually they sat tight. Yeah. I think that was, that was, that will be seen to be. A good decision that will be peak. You know, we're, I'd be surprised if this isn't peak rates here with, presume, with what presume, the state is yeah, Presumably, through. if the other central banks are cutting rates, pound will strengthen relative to those other yeah, currencies. It has done. We could end up importing more inflation in the UK, so it could become. So to be slightly careful about yeah, not getting out of whack with the others. Mm, generally yeah. speaking, and we haven't done historically, but 
Um, I mean, UK inflation is coming down slower, but yeah. it is coming down yeah. still, and it should unwind quite quickly. So I'm not, you know, I'm not too concerned. Um, Bailey's made some comments today, hasn't he, this morning, which were not particularly well no. received. Um, he was particularly pessimistic about UK economic prospects. But we don't stand for that nonsense on taking stock after the bell because we're UK bulls. No right, Hizzy? We love the footsie. We love the footsie. <laughs> we, love, we, love, we love UK small cap. We <laughs> do love UK small advice. cap. Um, so we actually wanted to come and talk a bit about financial planning, Ian. Um, what does it involve? What are your main areas of advice? What are clients saying? And what do you do? Talk us through it. How long have oh, wow. we <laughs> Can we have a day in the life of Ian Cook, life of financial Cook. planner? Um, we've got a chart, which we will briefly put up. So um, basically, it sort of splits it into two. We've got available allowances and tax-efficient investing options. So why don't you talk through first the sort of allowances that individuals have got? Yeah, so I think them. I see my role as architect in a client's life. When you 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 come in, you're... You are looking to build wealth. You're looking to build a financial plan. Many people that, typically my client bank, they've built businesses over long periods of time. Mm -hmm. They've perhaps accumulated cash and assets, but in some ways not really known how mm. they've got there. So essentially what I, what I look to do is firstly, use tax efficient allowances such as pension contributions, which is up on the chart. Look at the basic taxation, such as your personal allowance, there's savings rates, making sure the investments that somebody's got are in the mm. correct name. So if it's a husband and wife or husband and husband or wife mm -hmm. and wife, mm -hmm. uh, no matter, making sure that those, if one is a non or basic rate taxpayer, that perhaps investments that may be taxed are invested into that correct name. But beyond that, what I'm essentially looking to do is I'm looking to create sleeves that I can draw on laterally. So what that might be, and as the chart illustrates there, you've got cash assets. So that typically will be emergency money or money that you intend to spend on the next in the next 12 months. So we mm. want to keep that on deposit. Is 12 months a figure that you use widely just on that? Because a lot of clients, clients have got, I don't know what you think you do, but a lot of clients have got very different views about the levels of cash they like to have, mm. comfort cash. Mm. Mm. And it varies from not not a lot to an extraordinarily large amount relative mm. to their asset base. You're absolutely right. And I think part of the role of financial planner is to ensure psychologically the client feels okay when the market takes a dip. So no, if you've got no. a client that's got an adventurous attitude to risk, and we know through conversation that potentially you could be looking at 30% downside. Well, if that client is prepared and wants to go on that journey, well, if they've got two years worth of cash that's mm. held on the sidelines, yeah to fund their lifestyle, mm -hmm. they're not going to be overly mm. concerned. Yeah. But equally, we want to make sure that typically clients tend to pick a number mm. and there doesn't seem to be a great deal of thinking around tends it. It tends to be a um, round number as well, um, it? irrespective um, of inflation or anything else. Absolutely. Um, and my role, I would say, is more about encouraging someone to mm. say, look, actually, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Mm. We can deploy that cash and use it in other ways because we now have tools with investment managers like yourself i can now suggest things like a guilt portfolio which as a financial planner i understand it i know mm. what it is yeah but i can't directly buy those assets underneath no. and you can buy them for me in a tax efficient manner so i can say to a client look you're a high rate taxpayer and actually if we go out and buy a government bond treasury bond that's going to redeem in two years get you a net return of just shy of five percent depending on whatever guilt yeah. yields are doing on that day whereas you mm. go and put it into i was going to say bristol and west alliance and leicester but they're, they're all gone they're, they're long since gone in the great financial crisis but you go and put the money in the building society mm. you might earn a five percent return but you could potentially after your personal savings allowance of up to a thousand pounds in some mm -hmm. cases you may be paying 40 percent of that revenue straight back Yep. to the chancellor so your net returns three percent so just on a an aside before you carry on there on that mm. personal savings allowance so there's a big issue this year isn't it so if you have got your state pension that basically uses up your basic rate allowance mm. of yes. nearly, nearly not quite but nearly if you've got cash reserves of say fifty thousand or a hundred thousand mm. and you're now getting five percent you're going to get more savings interest than your personal savings allowance if Correct. you're a taxpayer. Mm. What 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 do you do if you're in that position? 
what does one do if you're in a, I mean, what's the mechanics? Do you have to do a tax return? Because you get paid the interest gross, if that's right. You should. But it's going to be quite a big issue this year, isn't it, for lots of people who've now got interest over the allowance? Absolutely, because the rules were changed a number of years ago. I couldn't tell you exactly when, where interest used to be taxed at source at basic mm -hmm. rate. Mm -hmm. Well, now interest is received gross. Mm -hmm. You know, and if it's not wrapped in an ISA or any other tax efficient mm. in, um, investment vehicle, you're going to need to do a tax return and declare it. And if you're yeah. not, potentially, you're at risk of the revenue knocking on your door. Because the revenue know, because they've got the data, haven't they? Yeah. They've got the plugins to the banks. They know exactly what. Yeah, I mean, not, not to be alarmist about it, but, you know, big brother. And I would do 100%. I mean, we'll, you know, for, for any interest that's earned on our clients, accounts, whether it's dividends or whatever, we, we, um, we send that information to the revenue the yep. same as any financial institution. Would. And I think that's really important. And it comes back to the sleeves that we're using as financial yeah. planners. Yeah. So yeah. in this in this current climate, we're making sure that clients that have got cash on the sidelines that's mm. not investable, that it's wrapped in a cash ISA. We're using husband and wife mm -hmm. um, to make sure that they're, they're, they're both tied up in that way. That clients that do have excess amounts of cash we are recommending the use of the likes of the guilt strategy because we know that you're going to benefit from capital gain. Capital gain on government bonds is not taxable. And there's only a small amount of yield that's kicked out. And this is where the sleeves really come into effect. In an, in an ideal world, you want to go on that journey with the client throughout their whole career mm. so that you've got time to ensure that the cash part is big enough, that the client is comfortable and they don't have an excess amount of cash, but we want to make sure that we're using ISA allowances, pension allowances. If we go beyond yeah. the scope that we've got no more money that we can invest into pensions, that there's um, venture capital trusts, mm -hmm. there's enterprise investment schemes for those clients that will understand the risk. Yeah. There's 30% tax relief to be had on those products. That there's other investments such as um, investment bonds where if it's an onshore investment bond, the tax is taxed at a rate of 20%. If you're a high-rate taxpayer, there's no further tax that is due. Offshore bonds benefit from gross roll-up, so no tax take. However, it's you always have to be mindful that really you're just kicking the tax can down it's the road. It is, it is. So it's not tax-free. You benefit from gross roll-up, yeah. but the tax will be paid at some point in the future. But I use those vehicles with clients that I think, well, there may be an excess amount of capital at some point in the future that we want to use for perhaps children's university fees. Mm. Or mm. I might want to write those plans into trust. And I'm not going to create a tax event for writing that plan into trust. So right. I'm essentially, I heard this term earlier, I'm looking under the microscope, as in mm. what we need now. And then I'm looking through the telescope and looking at, well, actually, you might be 50 years old now. I can see based on your current lifestyle expenditure, there's likely to be excess capital. Yeah. You've got a number of children and or other beneficiaries that you'd want to benefit in the event of your passing. Yeah. Therefore, let's settle that money into that vehicle ready yeah. to place into yeah. trust at a later date, but whilst giving you access yeah. during that time. I think that's really interesting. And then the diagram with the colours of the allowances that we've got here, yeah. you know, it's sort of, and not to belittle the advice you give by any stretch, but it is kind of common sense and basics. Use your allowances and use the most valuable allowances first, which if you're working and you're a high rate taxpayer, it's probably your pension allowance, but you've got to put the money away until your retirement age, whatever it might be. Your ISA is a pretty good one. Mm. And then general investment, spouses, benefiting from lower tax rates, etc. Um, and, and, and the big one for us, I guess, this year and going forward is the CGT allowance. Historically, CGT has been relatively friendly from the tax perspective. £12,300 allowance, 20% for high rate taxpayer on investments, mm -hmm. which means that you know, if you've got a sort of two, £300,000 general investment portfolio, which is yielding 2 or 3% in income and is generating a bit of capital growth, you know, that £250,000 pot generally is very tax friendly. But if we're now moving to a world where, well, number one, yields are higher, Bond yields are high. Yes, we can mitigate that by what we buy, but you know, corporate bonds are yielding six, seven percent, and we've only got a six thousand pound CGT allowance this year. Well, if you've got two hundred and fifty grand, six grand disappears quite quickly if the market goes up by ten percent. 
which it can very much do. So, you know, we've gone from a position, I guess, in historically of using clients' CGT allowances where we can to talking to clients and saying, well, have to pay a bit CGT here. I think we've also got to be mindful in the future that future chancellors may look at this as a way of raising additional revenue. So in the current climate, I'm very mindful now, like you say, a £1,000 dividend allowance for clients as well. Collective investment accounts are not perhaps as attractive as they once were. However, when creating a financial plan, you can see there's a number of vehicles there, and we wouldn't use all of those for for every client. Mm. But using investment managers such as yourself, we can have a discussion where we can say, well, look, let's put all of the high dividend yielding stocks inside the yeah. ISA. Yeah. Let's put the government bonds. Government bonds that don't throw off much, yeah. Let's put them inside the collective. Actually, we're not going to draw from the pension for a number of years because we've got we've got a cash or a liquidity event that's going to come when you sell your business. Therefore, let's go for some global growth, growth in, there. Yeah. In, the, in the pension. Are the bonds a long-term burn? Yeah. We think yeah. that we might use it for a house deposit for children. So what we might say is, well, actually, look, let's ring fence an amount in the bond that notionally we're going to allocate that. That will go to the children in the future. Mm-hmm. And then you can buy specific assets in there. Yeah. And we know we, we've got levers that we can pull because essentially if a client comes to me and they want, I don't know, let's say they want £4,000 a month income, well, I know I can draw nearly £1,000 and use their personal allowance uh, from their pension. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of tax-free cash yeah. that comes from the pension that goes alongside that. We can draw from the ISAs completely free of tax. I've got a 5% deferred withdrawal amount from the investment bond. So what that means is yeah. if... You put £100,000 in today, I can draw £5,000 every year for the next 20 years before we even need to consider a tax return. Mm-hmm. I've got VCTs that typically kick off 5% dividend yield, and that's that dividend true. yield yep. is free of tax, again, for the right client that's looking to take that amount of risk. And we have a notional <coughs> amount now of um, CGT that I can use inside a collective investment account. So we can structure things. So the client that is drawing £4,000, £5,000 a month, broadly for many years, it can be free of tax. One thing that I'm very keen to impress on clients is really the majority of your high level of spending is going to be in those early years of retirement. Yep. So the first 10 to 15 yeah, yeah, years, and you've probably yeah, experienced yeah, it through so. life cycles of your client, yeah. where essentially you're doing everything that, you would have done had you not been going to work. Mm. So those are the periods that you want to be drawing that income. And the longer that we can draw on that without paying Mm. any direct taxes, the the easier it is. And then later in life, perhaps when we don't need as much income, that's when the tax kicks in because, you know, there's nothing worse than drawing and clients that I've come across that haven't had a financial planner in the past, there's nothing worse than drawing £5,000 a month and it's all got to come off a pension. Mm. They've had their tax-free cash because they bought their property yeah, overseas. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. actually what we're doing is in order to generate that, we've got to draw seven or £8,000 a month to yeah. pay you five. Yeah, and there's an IHT angle on that as well. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I think it's right. So from a, you know, for clients in the accumulation phase of life, you know, get using those allowances and getting the money into tax efficient pots is it doesn't have a particularly you know the i guess the impact the impact is compound isn't it so you're very little benefit of doing your ISA each year this year but all of a sudden 10 15 years down the road and then you go to retirement wow sorry how much have i got it's all tax-free i mean the whole reason the whole reason for increasing that ISA allowance was essentially for it to become a second pension fund wasn't it yeah yeah Um, they've toyed with that idea it it feels like they've run the lifetime ISA as a experiment Mm. In, as a pension Did ISA. you do many lifetime ISAs? None. Have you got one? Did you, were you of an age where you... <laughs> Sorry. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got one. Thanks very yeah. much. Mrs. Raymond's got one as well. Have you? Because yeah. I was young enough to start them, yes. Because yeah, if you started them before you were 40, you can carry on doing them every year till you're 60. So they are quite valuable in that sense. They are valuable. I think anybody that's listening, what, what you need to consider, and even if you're considering doing them for... The younger generation so if a family you know patriarch matriarch or the family can save into one of those vehicles for children you essentially you get a 25 percent uplift on your contribution mm-hmm. but you get a 25 percent penalty if, yeah. 
for, for withdrawal. So you put £4,000 in, that's immediately grossed up to five, which is great. Mm. But then if the very next day you make a withdrawal, mm. the penalty, you withdraw the money, there's a £1,250 yeah, that you've got to pay back. And mm. that applies to the the gross quantum that sits inside the pot. So it's not the tax relief that you were given. Yeah. It's the growth. There is a penalty on top of that. And to explain to the people listening, what mm. happens when you get to, is there an age that you can get to when you can then draw for yes. free? Or tax yeah. Free? So essentially the pot needs to be used to either purchase your first home okay. or it needs to be used uh, beyond the age of 60. Okay. Then you can make penalty free withdrawal. So, so in 10 years' time, when John reaches 60, oh. uh, <laughs> it's mean, been a hard week, isn't on. it, John? <laughs> I've, got new, I've got a new photo on the website, so I do look 50 in it. <laughs> he's, he's got no grey hair, James. Oh, <laughs> You wouldn't know if I had grey hair. Or well, I was, I was just looking at yeah. <laughs> All you can um, see is my second nose expanding on my forehead. <laughs> so I was going to come out to the CGT thing, which you mentioned about, you know, mm. Chancellor's potentially cranking up CGT rates yeah. in time. Now, I remember vividly the day that they got rid of 40% CGT and they cut it to a flat rate, 24%, mm. I'm going to say 2006, seven. And the, the whole reason of doing that was because the 40% tax rate was putting, you had indexation taper relief, so it yeah. was lower yeah. effectively, yeah. but they, it was putting people off selling assets and paying the tax. Now, the Laffer curve doesn't exist in income tax at low rates, but it definitely exists on CGT mm. because it's an optional tax. Mm. You've got a buy to let or if you've got some shell you inherited, you can choose to sell it or you yeah, don't have to yeah. sell it. So part of me wonders, and, and you know, CGT on residential property is a bit higher, isn't it? 18 and 28%. Like someone somewhere has done the analysis and saying that if you put CGT rates up, you don't actually get any more tax and you end up with these kind of stranded assets that people don't want to sell to pay the tax. Whereas at 20%, you know, we've had conversations, well, I've had conversations with clients where they've got, you know, they inherited AstraZeneca in 1927 mm -hmm. and they've got a massive gain. You sort of say to them, well, there's a bit of stock specific risk here. You know, how do you feel about paying bit of CGT and uh, oh, like 20% or oh, it's not too bad is it so maybe if I take 5,000 of the gains over my allowance but I think 40% does stop it definitely because I think you make a really good point yeah there. because the alternative is you can sort of envisage something outperforming let's take Astra by 20% over time 40% yeah you I mean that's a hell of a yeah you, you've, you've really got, got grand, to, you're, you're starting with 60 if you pay the tax yeah I think the other consideration as well is CGT dies with the person yeah so well it's funny it's funny you say that because actually i was talking to lawrence who i worked closely with about this yesterday and said do you think there's a scenario when the government stops that and it doesn't die with the person or does it become too complicated the issue that you've got there is although the cgt dies with the individual the inheritance tax doesn't go away so yeah one those typical people that would have those gains mm that would be reticent to sell them in order to crystallize yeah. a gain of 20, 30, 40%, whatever it might be, are typically going to have an IHT bill regardless. You can't charge CGT and then IHT on the same Very trip. As a financial planner, it's one of the most difficult things to negotiate at times because mm. clearly clients can't tell us when they're going to die. Most can't. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. in some cases, you're yeah. suggesting that they liquidate assets, pay capital gains tax to wrap money in trust, so they they are we are crystallizing a up to a twenty percent yeah. gain yeah, 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 to yeah. then roll it into a product or yeah. not product a solution or something. Yeah. that effectively they might then pay forty percent tax on it. So it's mm. so it's difficult. I think likely, I think the thing that they'll attack first will be the IHT efficiency of pensions. So currently, anybody under the age of seventy five, regardless of the in this current climate, now that lifetime allowance mm. is gone, under the age of 75, you everybody inherits the pot free of tax. Mm. After the age of 75, which is everybody gets excited about pensions and their efficiency against inheritance tax. Mm -hmm. Once the owner of that pension goes over the age of 75, what you've got to consider is every penny that is drawn from that pot once the original holder of that pension is over 75 is taxable at their marginal rate hmm. so you you may inherit mum or dad's pension of a million pounds but if you're in employment and you're a higher rate taxpayer well guess what you're going to pay 40 or 45 percent tax hmm. so therefore you've now got to you've got to think about do i need to set that aside 
and wait to draw on that money. I've got a mortgage that I've got. I would like to pay off with that pension pot. So there could are it, some could restrictions. Could you skip a generation to the child absolutely. And, then, and then draw for the child? For the child's benefit, yeah, absolutely. Even if they're under 18? Absolutely. It's, okay. it's the tax position of the net beneficiary. So, right. so and, sorry, uh, to clarify Hughes's question. So uh, if, oh, I such an easy example. If my dad were to pass and he'd left his pension to me, do I have the option of giving it to my kids or does my dad, before he dies, have to put my kids on? Okay, so what that is dependent <laughs> on is who is nominated on the death benefit nomination mm -hmm. form. So certain providers, one of the things that I do, <clears throat> so in that example, if your dad was my client, mm -hmm. I might say um, nominate 99% to Jonathan and then 1% to, to your child. Right. And then upon your passing, you can elect to say, Actually, I don't want ninety nine percent. I want eighty percent. The remainder to go directly to the but child. Those beneficiaries have to be on the nomination. They have to be on the nomination. Right. You can't. It's not it, like a deed of variation. It's not like will. a deed of variation <clears throat> on the will. And what the other thing you've got to be mindful of is it, it needs to be a provider that can facilitate that. Because the other thing as well is that a lot of people will be unaware of is you only pay the tax if you decide to draw down. Some providers will automatically kick the money out. So you'll be in a situation where even though you don't need or require the money. So in your situation there, Jonathan, where your father has passed, the money has passed you, it's been nominated to pass you. Mm. But it's with a provider that doesn't facilitate what's known as beneficiary drawdown. Mm -hmm. That money will be paid to you regardless. regardless. I was in a situation where that happened, where an already wealthy client, her husband um, who sadly passed mm. under the age of 75, so all the money was free of tax, but she was already independently wealthy. The money has been kicked out of a pension plan with a provider and paid as a cash credit to the estate. So we're now in the situation where I'm now having to write that money into trust. Yeah, you've got to wait seven years. Got to wait for seven years, because if she was to subsequently pass, that money then becomes taxable. So a simple document such as a benefit, nomination form mm. is so critical yeah. much like a, a will things that we often overlook and life insurance in trust as well as the Absolutely. other one isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah good well i mean it's good to get into the weeds of these things isn't it um it is i think it, it, the... it, it you know i think probably some of our listeners um might not necessarily have a financial advisor planner but you know it might you know, our, our world is quite complex. You know, what does a financial planner do that an investment manager doesn't do? And what does, I don't know, power plan, you know, it's all these, these different terms. Actually, I think by talking about them, you can sort of show how complex actually mm. finance is and actually the, the little bits around the edges that mm. you can do that potentially make massive differences. Yeah, the interlink as well. I think. Yeah, I think there's a you huge, know, the, yeah. the obsession of outperforming your benchmark by 1% when actually you can get it in the right name and benefit from 40% difference is huge. Yeah. It's, it's one of the th often things that I will say, especially to new clients, it's, you know, don't be, don't be swayed by performance of a chart or how a particular fund right. is done because you're absolutely right. If it's not held in the right name, it doesn't make any difference. You know, you might give away 20, 20 or 40% of your yeah. return yeah. straight back, straight back to the yeah. tax man. And there is a, there's a huge amount of um, overlap in our, in our various mm. roles yeah, there is, yeah. with, with what yeah. we do. And I think we all have an understanding of what each other does. Yeah. So what else, what are the kind of issues that are kind of live with clients at the moment? What sort of, I mean, pensions is ever present, isn't it? But pensions and income. And do, are, are clients getting very worried about <coughs> inflation and portfolios have obviously had a tough couple of years. You know, yeah. Not necessarily, you know, not necessarily massive falls, but actually if you compound what inflation's done, you know, potentially a, quite a bit less wealthy than they were a few years ago. Does that bother people? I think the what psychology, yeah. So you've hit on a really good point there. So one of the things that I'm noticing certainly is um, clients are increasing the level of their standing orders that are, are they? coming oh, from their account. This week. <laughs> actually, I've had one just, just before yeah. we came on. Yeah, um, and I had a client I did a review meeting with recently who was suggesting getting a part-time job, no wow. way. which mm. astounded me. But what we did is we went back, looked at his cash flow model and I actually said mm. to him, look, you've got the affordability within your mm. portfolio to enable the, 
there's just an additional five hundred pounds a month that he wants. Yeah, it's just going to bridge the gap between now and the state retirement. Yeah. And I think that was a huge weight off his shoulders because yeah. we were sat in the meeting, meeting and he was really quite anxious about the thought of. I'm in my early sixties. Yeah, I'm now having to go and find a part time job when he's been a software engineer for many years and. You know, he was talking about doing some mm. exam invigilation, which is look great, gets you out of the house, but yeah, he yeah. certainly would rather yeah. be playing golf yeah. than, yeah, than doing that. But generally, what I'm finding as well is that clients tend to forgive a year where there's little or no return. But yeah. by the time we get to the end of the second year, because again, clients tend mm. to look at annual mm. statements, and most of us are online now, but they're yeah. Yeah. not necessarily looking day by day. So, really, what I was looking for, from both of you was just a few reasons to be optimistic about why, you know, why should we be? Oh, you've come to the right place for that. I love you on optimism. <laughs> There's loads uh, of optimism loading around up here. On UK small cap. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, not well, we are. But no, we are. <laughs> um, I think it's just it's simple messages that mm. I can give to clients because all the time the market is going up, it's such an easy job. Yeah, clients take right. for granted long. Bull markets, you know, what was the last Capital market? markets give you the returns over the long term, but they don't give you, I will say, they don't give you linear returns, i.e. you don't get the returns each and every year, they are lumpy. Mm -hmm. And first chart, I've got a couple of charts for you, just Great. on this, which is why I use the clients, but this is MSCI World, going back to 1988. And you can see it starts at one and it ends at 18, which is quite a decent return for 30 years. Mm -hmm. But the bottom pane shows the drawdowns that you've had to go through, including 2000, 2003, 2008, where you were down more than 30%. And the, the, the drawdown chart also shows how long you were underwater for. Well, you were underwater for 10 years from 2000 to 2010. That's a long time. Yeah. So, you know, the cost of your money going up 18x over 30 years is unfortunately the drawdowns. And not only that, you've had regular 10% drawdowns, which you can see in the bottom pane. And then this is sort of slightly more closer to home. This is the ARC Steady Growth Index, which it it represents what a typical balanced investor mm. is on a net basis mm. might. And you can see 20 years ago, 100, today nearly 300. So again, mm. good, that's mm. roughly mm. five or 6% a year. Yeah. So when we talk to, you know, if a client wants to be balanced, and that means lots of different things, but roughly speaking, five, 6% a year is kind of ballpark. But again, you know, 2008 to 2012, you were basically went nowhere. And you'd had a quite a significant drawdown. So that was a four-year drawdown. You had a drawdown around 2018 and 20. You know, again, where you went two years. It's a fairly muted period, wasn't it? It was. You didn't necessarily, yeah, it was a difficult period. And then, you know, markets peaked in kind of January 2022. And here we are, December 23, nearly 24 months later. And you're still underwater probably from that point. Now... It's not necessarily this time around, this bear market, and I remember 08, and I remember you know everything else in between. It's not necessarily the depths of the falls that we experienced. Yeah, it was a bit hairy last year, but it wasn't like a 30% fall. Clients were down 10, 15, maybe 20% at the worst. Mm. But it's the duration that we've been underwater and the fact that inflation has been running at 10, 15% as well. Yeah. So it's the kind of the, the duration of the drawdown this time around is worse than the than the the actual pain of seeing your portfolio fall. But it's not unusual and it's not, in the context of history, it's not as long as what you've had to expect in the past. I think what it is, when you're in the moment and you're living through that moment, it feels like a long time ago yeah. since we were in that bull market. 100%. And, and that, I think, what gets deep-rooted in the psychology, mm. certainly with clients, and we've got to try and promote the positive message that mm. these things will turn around is, it feels like it's always been like this, when actually it hasn't. No. And especially for new investors that are new well, to the market. I was going to say, so a, a lot of how you're feeling today probably depends on when you first started taking notice of it. Mm. So if you happened to invest two years ago, just before as it peaked, you're probably feeling a bit sorry for yourself. Yeah. But if you started, you know, I've got clients who were here from, you know, 14, 15, 16, nearly best part of 10 years, and their long-term performance is there and available and they look at it and go, actually, it's done fine. It's done what I expected it. So when I'm talking to my clients, will this be a period that I'm able to say to clients, we may look back in 10 years' time and say, geez, that was a great time to get into the market. And no, we don't know what's, what's, what's going to come. But you know, from a 
data, from a data and a technical perspective, mm. when you're assessing assets in the portfolios, as investment managers, how, how are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, you, know, you said, ten, you know, the 10-year comment. I think, you know, when we look back in 10 years' time and look back at this, we will say, it was so bloody obvious. I wish we'd just been a bit braver. And I think, you know, there are areas that, that we think... Um, you know, are more expensive than others. But I think if you look at the investment trust discounts, if you look at, I know we've talked about small and mid-cap quite a lot, but if you look at the, the, the valuations there What do you mean on, by investment trust discounts, James? So investment trusts or investment companies, they are companies set up um, and managed by fund managers. But within that, there's... Um, listed, usually mm. listed assets, listed equities. Sometimes they can be non-listed, sometimes they can be property or, or, or infrastructure, etc. But essentially, on a daily basis, the value of those assets is is announced to the London Stock Exchange. So, um, you know, as an example, today, um, an investment trust might say we've got a pound, you know, a pound, you know, each share has a pound of assets within it. Now, that, the price of that share, because it trades like a company, might only be trading at 80p. So essentially, you can buy a pound's worth of assets for 80p um, as a live price. And that those discounts, we haven't, essentially, if you go back over history, these discounts haven't existed since 2008. And we are not in the same economic environment as we were in 2008. Now, even in the depths of COVID, the average discount of an investment trust was something like eight or nine percent. Where are we today? 15, 16. Wow. And in financial crisis, we were probably 18. So we're not far off those discounted levels. I mean, there, arguably, there might be reasons for that. I think a, a lot of alternative investment trusts have been created over the last few years, and those types of assets in particular, because they're very interest rate sensitive. Um, are, are on particularly large discounts. I think there's a slight... Commercial property's quite a good example of that. You know, yeah, I the think... The building is held at £10 million valuation, but of course it hasn't been changed for X number of months. Yeah. There's probably only nine or nine and a half. Yeah. So that, were those well. created to fill the gap with where there was no yield on government bonds? Absolutely. Yeah. Now and ahead. Um, so, yeah, we did own gilts, but not in the same proportion as we did pre-financial crisis because the returns weren't there. I think... You know, investment trusts are pretty unique to the UK as mm. well. Um, I think they're great vehicles for private clients because as a private client, you can invest in actually assets that aren't very liquid yeah. um, within a liquid share class. Mm. So you can buy commercial property, you can buy, you know, wind hospitals farms. or wind farms mm. in the right vehicle. Music royalties. Um, yeah, exactly. Taylor Swift's back catalogue. Yeah. Amazing. Well, she, I mean, Taylor Swift's responsible for us um, not going into recession, isn't she? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, it's, but it does give you, you know, they were created and, and, and within the structure you can you can add some borrowing and gearing um, because they're sticky assets. You can, you can, you know, you can create good good dividend yields for clients mm -hmm. and that's what they were used for. Mm -hmm. It's just... If if one of these investments is is paying, let's say, was paying a few years ago a five percent dividend yield, I mean that was really attractive against point two five in the bank. But when rates go to five, what should that investment trust be producing? In some cases, like Assura, now it's eight or nine, and and that's where you've had the fall in value, and that's where it's hurt. But you know, I think in ten years' time you will look back and it will be, gosh, I wish I'd been braver. Yeah. Um, On the conversation of guilt. Should I be encouraging clients, not encouraging, but obviously within everybody's individual risk mandate, mm. but mm. if we can get, what can we get on a 10-year guilt? And should should I be encouraging clients to say, hey, look, let's perhaps tone down a little bit of risk on a proportion of your portfolio. We can but, get a return of X yeah. over the next 10 years. So I would sort of frame it a different way. I would say pre-2020, 21, we were having conversations with a lot of clients who were your traditional conservative cautious mm. investors yeah. and they you know they want a five percent return and they want to get there as low risk as possible so back in the day when yields were normal yeah. you would put 30 40 50 percent in bonds and 30 40 50 percent in equities and yeah. that was your portfolio now when bond yields got down to zero slash one 
we had a lot of conversations with those clients to say half your portfolio is going to give you a nominal net uh, gross return of one percent mm. you, you know it's going to hamstring in the portfolio so we need to re so we re-risked a lot of those clients within their you know it was appropriate for them it wasn't yeah. appropriate and it was sensible mm. Mm. now those clients that we've d- did that for obviously had less in bonds when the bond market went haywire last year and we're having the reverse conversations with those clients now right? yeah. mr client if you want five percent relatively conservatively mm. you can have a lot more in bonds than you had two years ago so and it's the same with new clients coming to us as mm. well with cash saying well i want a, you know a relatively steady return bonds yeah. now it's not a case of selling equities and buying bonds because the yield's higher but it's a bit simplistic but they're definitely more of an option and higher up the menu than they were two years yeah, ago. Yeah, I, th- I think the real change is from alternatives uh, and not not the infrastructure investment trust we've been talking about necessarily, but some of the absolute return strategies, our view hedge is fund types hedge fund types. Yeah. You, there's not really, in our view, you don't really need them anymore because okay. why would you pay someone two and 20 and actually long-term all these types of vehicles have returned is four-ish, five-ish, yeah. when actually I can virtually get that in a gill. I know, what's the 10-year now? It's probably... It's just over four. It's fallen quite a bit, actually. So it's only just over four now. 4. Yeah. 2. So that has come back quite a lot. So, um, yeah, I mean, Hughes is absolutely right. So in the last 10 years, hedge fund-type strategies have blossomed because you're low, you, you mm. have to find something to put in your lower-risk bit of the portfolio because you don't want that bit of the portfolio falling 30% when the equity market goes haywire. I think, think the normalisation in bond yields has probably undermined that strategy of buying those type of things yeah. more so than because we still expect equities to do better you know um tim cook at apple gets up every morning goes to work with the express intent of getting the share price up yeah. indirectly through the yeah. profits yeah so if he carries on doing yeah. that and he's got yeah. lots of super smart people around him to help him do that he'd be absolutely fine um which is why you know i'm a mega 10-year bull in yeah. anything but yeah. certain certain yeah. areas more than others but you know definitely clients will be fine over the long term i think i met your question of what what's your takeaway to give clients who are pretty fed up because it's been two years of you know soggy returns let's call it i think you know without being without you know stating the obvious we're two years into this it, it's actually run for quite a long time i think last year was a holy smokes we are you know inflation is ripping mm. rates are going higher this isn't a transitory message you know the transitory message central banks gave in, at the end of 2021 was incorrect and you know actually there's pain that's going to be felt i think it was wow well you know if, if business xyz has got to refinance at, at seven when they're refinancing at three before that's it's probably more on both sides but that's going to meaningfully impact margins and margins were at record peaks i think you, you had a proper panic last year i think this year actually as earnings have come through it steadied the market a bit um, because I think on the whole corporates or certainly the larger corporates mm-hmm. that we invest in have done a reasonable job. Now, I think next year, you know, next year the economy is going to look ugly in some ways, but I do wonder if the market has sort of already priced a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would, you know, if you think about it in years, maybe last year was 2008, maybe this year's 2009 and maybe next year when... Oh, do, You'll remember, 2009 felt awful. It felt like everything was going to fall over and the market was never going up again. And then suddenly you had this squeeze the next year on the economy still felt horrific, but actually stocks started to perform again. Mm. I think you could well thing, have that. Yeah, one thing that always baffles me as a financial planner is when the news is always good, mm. the market's as a generalisation, yeah. clients are saying, everything's great, but my, I've had a bad year. Mm. And then when things are pretty good, sorry, when things are bad, mm. you see a rise in valuations mm. in portfolios. Yeah, COVID mm. was a great example. Great, I mean, there, there, was, there was reasons yeah, for done, that, yeah. but yeah. I think the overall overarching sentiment is that it's the sensitivity to the, the drawdowns yeah, it, really it, dictate where hundred percent. I think what well, what I often say to clients is, without being rude to clients, if you're worrying about it and you're reading something, 
it's already priced in. Yeah, it's uh, too. It's, it's already. It's priced too late. Yeah. Like it's if, about the, if the UK in particular, yeah, everyone's yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, just got to read the papers. Yeah. Well, that's why the market's on ten times earnings, as yeah, cheap as it's been exactly. for thirty years. Okay. And and yeah. it won't it won't take much. I mean, we talked about it last pod. Um, you know, Mars coming in for Hotel Chocolat. Mm. Um, you know, city pubs being bought by Youngs. Mm. There's there's proper M and A, and and if if these companies don't re raise, there'll be no companies left. They have to. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think capital markets will be absolutely fine. And we do now have the options of buying bonds where we didn't do before. Yeah. So that's just given yeah. us a much wider range of options. I think it's a nice thing to be able to say to a client that we've got surety on an element of their portfolio. Mm. That mm. look, this, this element will perform a predicted rate over a given time. And I, th- I think that can help. And especially when we're looking at, mm. you know, what I like to do with money when I'm managing it for clients inside a portfolio is really attach that money to meaning. Mm. So that mm. money isn't just performing at a particular rate. That's your grandchild's school fees. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the money that you set aside that for the property in Spain that you want to buy. But you always have time. to have a purpose. There always needs yeah. to be yeah. a purpose, not just on yeah. I think, And I do think the industry has become too obsessed with benchmarks. And, and you know, actually a question to you, which is, you know, on the benchmark front, would your view be actually it's just about achieving the client's goals in terms of getting the money to be able to, so that client can buy that Spanish property or, or whatever else? Is it about total return as opposed to? Undoubtedly about total return. When I'm looking at a benchmark in relation to what a portfolio is doing, I'm expecting a portfolio to under and over, over, and underperform yeah. at any given time. Yeah. What my main goal or main concern, especially when I'm using mainstream portfolios, is how is how is the portfolio performing in relation to that benchmark? I.e., if the market is going down and the portfolio's following it down, mm. it's the degree at which it's it's falling. Mm. Whereas clients are a little bit more simplistic in their outlook, and they will. They expect me as a financial planner to have an eye on the benchmark and make a recommendation to make switches to different portfolios with different portfolio managers yeah. if they are underperforming for a particular uh, period yeah. of time. But we have an investment committee that does all of that work for us. So as a financial planner, yeah. my responsibility is to pass that message across to a client, yeah. whereas the investment management committee are constantly overseeing the portfolios yeah. that we recommend unless it's a client's own portfolio that's, that's constructed but i think one last question i have mm. for you yeah and this could probably be a podcast on its own yeah mm-hmm. have we got is there any concerns about disinflation or stagflation could could that become a theme we talked about transitory inflation yeah. through 2022 deflation could be a theme more so in europe than the uk than the us mm. so year on year numbers unwind if you get a recession and we've talked mm. about recession i think the first podcast we did which was near a year ago probably we thought there would be a recession, but well, I was right. Um, um, if you get a, re- it's possible that you do get, and the oil price has, has been weak and it's been mm. weak again the last week or so. You know, you could get a bit of disinflation in the short term. I, it's possible, but you know, one thing that I've definitely learned in the last three years is pretty much anything is possible at the moment. <laughs> you can you can have a pandemic and the market absolutely rips. You mm. can have interest rates going from 0 to 5% in a year and the equity market only goes, or the UK equity market actually went up. I mean, it, you know, there's so mm. so much stuff happens that we can't foresee that to me, it's a bit like we'll just take it in our stride. I mean, I think that's what we go back to is what are our companies doing? What has earnings growth, EPS growth throughout our companies within the portfolio done on the year? And, you know, it's been positive again this year. And yes, short-term share prices Move, or share price movements can be pretty scary at times, but if our portfolio of companies keep growing earnings, you know the share prices will correct at some stage. Mm-hmm. That's all we can do, That's and it's, it's it's putting that very simple message to clients. Going back to um, that idea of Tim Cook getting up in the morning and going to work to get his profits up, to get yeah. Apple's profits. Yeah, up. yeah I mean, yeah. fundamentally, every CEO in almost every company that you'll invest in yeah. is. Attempting to influence the yeah. share price, and, yeah, I mean, and, and got, that's why companies go up because yeah, people are there yeah. to try and make profits and grow those profits. And effectively, the CEO is elected by the shareholders yeah. to I mean, do that job. Yeah, I mean, we've got our next podcast. We've got um, um, 
we've got Freddie Lake coming on who who runs who runs a global equity portfolio. I think you know he'll tell you more. But I think this year his his you know the earnings within his companies. Um, I think he said we're we're thirteen fourteen percent up, but the portfolio is up. I think two or three percent this year, and it's a frustrating year for him. I think, but um, you know if your companies grow their EPS by thirteen fourteen percent and keep doing that, they're not going to be up by two or three percent for very long. So. Um, Eventually, the valuation gets trying to land. Absolutely, mm. yeah. absolutely. That's all we can focus on is revenue and earnings growth, mm. um, and that's what we look at. You know, we spend a lot of our time um, looking at, um, as do our, you know, the analysts that are um, um, are advising us as well. Mm. Should we leave it there. Just leave it that's there. That's good. Thanks yeah. for coming on. That's Pleasure. Great. Enjoy that, evening. That's brilliant. Under the Thanks bright lights. In. Wasn't quite uh, expecting that. There might, there might be some rebranding drinks going on somewhere. So <laughs> Alex is looking a bit thirsty. So <laughs> thanks to all our viewers and listeners for joining us this week on episode 21. And we look forward to seeing you again soon when, as James pointed out, we've got Freddie Late of Latitude Investment Management joining us. So thanks again to the gents and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>